Welcome to Berated, Berated Conversations. Join us as we talk to the creative people behind the independent movies and get the behind-the-scenes stories. Thank you for listening to Berated, Berated Conversations. My name is Anthony. This week, I talked to Sophia Cassiola about the Once and Future Smash and Endzone 2. She has also worked on Craving, Meet Friend, Demon for Hire, and Memento Mori. We talked about filming a documentary at a film festival in the Once and Future Smash and capturing the Jalo style in Endzone 2. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Sophia Cassiola and check out the Blu-ray double feature of the Once and Future Smash and Endzone 2 this fall. When I watched Endzone 2, it was, or when I saw, or when I first noticed this, because um, I, I didn't hear about this until I was talking to Jay Burleson. He is like my promoter extraordinaire. <laughs> yeah, like, because we were talking Nobody to him about, told me that. Yeah. yeah, about Third Saturday. Yeah. And, um... And then he was like, if you like other like football based or horror or football based horror movies, he's like, check out end zone two and the once in future smash. And I was like, Oh, okay. So then I looked at it and I I checked the IMDb and I was like, I I tried to look up August Kane and it was just like, I can't find this guy anywhere. Like this has got to be a fake. This is like, like when uh, we did uh, Lamageddon, it was like trying to find how we do it. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was it was a good it was a good trick. Yes. Well, we managed to put up 1970 on IMDb, which got us a lot of mileage for sure. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, we love the third Saturday guys. We finally met them like a month or two ago. And we we're just like, how did this happen that we both like did these like insane projects? <laughs> like there's so many similar. I mean, they're not really that similar in the end, but there's always similarities to like the effort that we both put into like oh, yeah. you know making two movies and they're about football <laughs> like they're set in different time periods like there's just like so many little things that we both like like that was the zeitgeist that year i don't know um but we really love those guys they're really awesome and third saturday is awesome so we're happy to share this year with them <laughs> oh yeah which I, I think the the double feature thing is something i'd never really like thought about as being an idea where like you make a movie, then you make another movie, but like to make two movies that are, you know, connected to each other is kind of cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, it's a bigger project, you know, like for me and my partner, Michael, like it's always like challenging ourselves. Like what is the next thing that we can do that's different or bigger than anything we've done before? And, uh, and that's what we came up with. So. <laughs> well, yeah, it was, it was definitely different, which, um, I, I, I mean, we were kind of talking about this before we started recording, but I, I watched them backwards. So I, I got totally thrown off with end zone two, but what I, I really enjoyed is like, it felt like a Jalo mm-hmm. with the, like the long shots and it felt very seventies with the blur look and, the way everybody acts like it, it's almost as if you take this movie kind of like some of the ones we've watched where um and you put it in the 70s nobody would know the difference good well it, amazing <laughs> that was yeah. the goal right um we took a lot of effort in shooting anyway. it uh obviously italian giallo is like literally my favorite thing so i'm glad you said that uh because definitely i'm always inspired by that and when we were working on it we wanted it to feel like a lost film from like the Midwest or Texas, like a Texas Chainsaw or like a Night uh, Night of the Living Dead. Like it just kind of like sprouted out of a film community that wasn't tied to Hollywood. Um, So that was kind of like the goal in like what it was looking 
looking like and feeling like. And literally, I told the actresses, I was like, watch Altman, watch Clue, like watch all these serious 70s movies for the acting style and just do your best. You know, like I'm not going to like nitpick on it, but like this is what is in my mind, you know. Um, And then like, yeah, so I shot it. I'm August Kane. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I I figured. (laughs) Yeah. Kane is my mother's maiden name and August was what she wanted to call me (laughs) before my dad wrote Sophia on the birth certificate. So it's just like a name that just came to me. Um, But yeah, so I took a lot of effort in shooting it that way also because when I priced out, I initially wanted to shoot it on 16 millimeter. And when I priced that out, shooting like one to one. So like knowing exactly where all of my cuts and close-ups would be in the final edit was going to be like over $30,000 in, in film processing. So I was oh, like, wow. obviously I can't afford to do that. Cause that was like more than the budget of the movie anyway. Um, so, but I was like, but that's the style, right? Like they were conserving film. So really planned out really long takes. And we told the actors like, look it, we're going to do like eight, 10 minute scenes at a time. So know your lines. And, oh, wow. Um, and that's what we did. So, you know, we did shoot coverage also, but like in the edit, it was just like, well, these movies didn't have a lot of close up, you know? And if, and if the wide is good for a long time, you keep it. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Cause uh, you mentioned the 16 millimeter, like I talked to the monster mash guys and they did 16 and they said it was really a pain and it was really expensive that they had to yeah. like shoot as much as they could. And then stop, and then get some more money, and then, then <laughs> keep if shooting. If it was in focus or exposed correctly, that's what scares me the most. Yeah. I've never shot. I've shot a little bit on eight mil, but never on film. And so, like, I'm so scared that like I was somehow messing up. <laughs> yeah. And then, like I don't know for weeks until I get it back. You know, it's like it's too stressful. I was actually yeah. when we were planning it. You know, because like with the room, supposedly they shot in 35 millimeter and digital, but they just put the cameras next to each other because Tommy Wiseau couldn't make a decision about like which to shoot it on. <laughs> that was initially how I was going to shoot it. I was going to shoot all the rehearsals and everything digitally, and then do the final like our our take on film. <laughs> So that was my plan, but I was just, I gave up on it. And so we did a lot of film treatment in the end. Like, you know, we counted out like where would the real splices be, you know, um, to put like a cigarette burn or like a little bit of like, you know, like the, the edit burns, like, you know, I got messed up on the cuts. Um, so like I really timed it out and tried to make it look as authentic as possible. And then as far as it being a restoration, like at one point in the middle of the night, I was like, we need it to be like from several sources. And so I was like, wouldn't it be great if the titles were in Italian for no reason? <laughs> oh so yeah. I think that adds a lot of authenticity as well. Like when you, it did, like, it was oh, a nice it's, touch. It's foreign. Okay. Like that works, you know, <laughs> which, uh, w- where did you shoot, um, the end zone two portions of this? So we shot it in Lake Arrowhead, which, Oh is wow. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like an hour and a half away from, um, LA. So yeah, we rented a cabin uh, it was really cheap because it was like December and we made everybody stay in the cabin. All the actors were people I knew, friends of mine that were just like willing to like hang out and cook and shoot all night. Um, so it was like actually a really fun little shoot. Uh, very few crew and we just got out there and did it. Um, and there is a little bit, we bought a little bit of stock footage that we found uh of like somebody like I think it was like a French person like traveling in LA in the 60s and they just like filmed out their car window the whole time because that was like a big part of it was like you know like I can't afford to rent a bunch of vintage cars and close a street and like you know and have that but I feel like all those movies always start with like a long drive so we found that bit of footage and we worked that in and eventually we found a car that kind of matched 
the hood of the car in the stock footage. So like we can have our actor get into that car. So it's uh, like piecing it together a little bit. But I mean, it worked well because uh, that fooled me. I mean, I thought, yeah. you know, like you found all these cars and shot all this footage. And <laughs> yeah, could not afford to do that. But yeah, luckily we found that um, that bit of stock. Yeah. But yeah, it's I mean, it, it's really awesome. Like the the thing that like that I think really ties it together is you have the look, but then also the actors are acting in that that like oh so seventies like type of acting where if you tried to do that today, like people would like act like ask you like, are you okay? Because <laughs> it just feels so like over the top. Yeah stilted and over the top, but also very serious. It's way it's much different than like I've. I call the acting today like whisper acting, like where people yeah. are always whisper. I hate it. I like it more. <laughs> like, like project at me, please. You know, um, but but yeah, like that's what we told them. You know, like watch Black Christmas, watch like Jane Fonda in the seventies, like that kind of stuff. But yeah, it was uh, it was definitely really fun. Which, um, how did you come up with this uh, the the character of Smash? <laughs> it's a Another, I tend to go down like ridiculous rabbit holes, like when I'm like brainstorming. And so uh, Michael and our other producer, Neil, had the idea for the Once and Future Smash, which is like, uh, you know, two guys who were in a 1970 movie and they argue over who was actually under the mask the whole time. And now 50 years later, there's going to be a remake of this movie. And so they're at the convention circuit. So that was like the initial idea. Um, and so like Neil set up our, our, um, being able to shoot at Mad Monster Party and, you know, we got Bill Weeded and Michael St. Michael's involved. And so that was all great. But then we're like, once we had set that up, we're like, well, what is this character? Cause it needs to be as iconic as Jason or Freddy Krueger or something and have like a distinct look. And so we're just like throwing out ideas and I was just like smash mouth. <laughs> like it was just like, uh, you know, I'm a kid of the nineties. So it just was funny to me. Like I'm, I'm a joker. And uh, so they were like, well, what does smash mouth mean? Like, where does this come from anyway? And so we Googled it and it means um, to play football roughly. And so yeah. that sent us down this path of like a football cannibal. Um, and then, you know, and we knew we wanted to make this and it actually worked out making the sequel because I feel like, you know, end zone, we would have needed a whole high school and a bunch of kids and football games and all this stuff. Um, so making the sequel was <laughs> beneficial because we could just be like, well, they're in a cabin now, you know, more uh, cheap to make. Um, yeah. So yeah, that really, yeah, it was just me blurting out Smash Mouth that like got us anywhere near football because we're not really sports people. Uh, I know Jay and his crew, <laughs> the third Saturday, like actually do like football. <laughs> I know nothing about it, but um, it actually was really awesome because it created a very iconic look with the leather head helmet. Like I bought that on eBay. It was like $100. It's falling oh, apart wow. now from the shoot. Um, and the outfit was also all vintage. So, um, you know, it definitely just like opened the door to like the, the visuals as well. Nice. Uh, yeah, I mean, because um, that was that was one of the things was the the whole uh, character of Smash Mouth was a very distinct character. It's like when I saw the trailer, I was like, I've never seen a, a killer like this before. It it just feels like like it's it's so uh, like joking, but at the same time, it doesn't realize it's a joke. So it's yeah. kind of like the best kind of horror comedy yeah. where you're not like fourth walling at the camera constantly. 
Yes. I always hate it when people, not always, but it usually doesn't work when people are like, I'm going to make a B movie and it's going to be funny and we're going to like, you know, mug to the camera and stuff. I'd much rather like, it's like made in earnest. Like that was the whole thing with Endzone too. Is like, I was like, well, I want this to be a good, a good movie that I would like to find in like Severin or Vinegar Syndrome release or something, <laughs> you know, like, but like where it's just funny because of like the circumstances of the earnestness that they put into it rather than like we're, we're winking at the camera the whole time. Um, that to me is funnier uh, for the realism. Um, and then with like Smash, like, we got Joe Castro. I don't know if you know him, but he's a special effects guy out here in LA uh, to uh, make the mask. And so okay. he, he does like a lot of um, like indie low budget production stuff. Okay. Um, he's, he's really great. And so I was like, look, it, I need a mask. It can't be too fancy. Like it can't like articulate too much. It's not a prosthetic. It's just going to be a mask. Uh, and it's like as if it was pretty good for the 70s. <laughs> and so we went back and forth a lot for like a month. I gave him a month to make it because we ended up shooting it on a very tight schedule once we came up with the idea, uh, which was lucky because we shot it in like December of 2019. And then the convention was like in February of 2020. So we like got most of the shoot like right before everything shut down. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so you, you got lucky. Yeah. Like, so we had Endzone and we had the convention stuff. And then later, like after everybody was vaccinated and stuff, we went back and got like the talking heads and, and the other content. Uh, so there was a big break in it, but we did get a little bit lucky doing it, especially the convention stuff where like there's people just walking around maskless. It's weird to see now. Yeah. It, it almost threw me off. I wasn't sure if this was a, a, a COVID film or not, because we've seen a few of those and yeah. it's like, it's, Sometimes it's obvious because you get the lower cast counts where it's like five people or less in the movie and mm -hmm. uh, other times not so much. Right. Yeah. So we're a little bit of both, but <laughs> yeah, COVID or not COVID. Yeah. But I, yeah, it definitely it was like it was a really cool movie. And I, and I think uh, I won't say too much, but I, you know, watching it backwards, like it is confusing and you do need the once in future smash to kind of tie all that in. So how did that like i mean you're at a convention and you're you're filming a a, a documentary yeah. here and it's like how does that work yeah uh it was very annoying yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh just because you know we're in public shooting in public is always difficult um luckily we did have permission from the convention they gave us a table they let us have a panel um they said we could run around and do whatever we wanted in the hotel so that was you know huge but we tried to start like a little bit before the other vendors would get in for the day for like the real meaty dialogue scenes we were begging people to turn down music we were shooing people away from the table sometimes or sometimes the opposite where we're like oh we need an extra right now like come sign this release and come do a few lines for us um so it's very hectic and we only had like three active days at the convention so oh, it's wow. also like we knew we had tons and tons to get through so it was uh it was definitely like a little tough we shot three cameras um which helped a lot <laughs> so you could pick up a lot at one time yeah so basically we we're shooting a wide and like two two side close-ups okay 100 percent right. of the time so we always had coverage and like the the you know the full table at a wide um and then like you know we ran around and did like the costume contest which we didn't even know was going to be happening and it ends up being such like a, a character <laughs> development scene <laughs> that was a good one <laughs> yeah it was insane because we told the host we're like look at we're going to enter the costume as smash mouth and just say it's bad and boom boom off stage or whatever whatever you want to do just do it and it turned into like a whole fiasco because the audience didn't know 
we were filming it for a movie and they got really mad at the host <laughs> and like it was a whole thing uh but it ends up being a really it's my favorite scene in the movie um and it was so spontaneous to that because like a lot of it is is scripted so uh you know it's, it feels very fly on the wall documentary but it, there was a script <laughs> oh yeah which you you have like a an amazing collection of like 90s 80s like horror icons in here how do you get all these people yeah well we were lucky uh, our co-producer neil neil jones he has a podcast called without your head that's been around for like i mean over 15 years maybe 20 okay. it's like been around forever so he has interviewed everybody uh, for a long time and he's been part of the convention circuit hosting panels and stuff so he had a good relationship with a lot of these people. And so we sat down at one point and just made a list because we we're like, we want to try to hit as many franchise people as we can. Um, we didn't get any Halloween people, but, you know, we have Nightmare on Street, We have Friday the 13th people. We have a lot of Texas Chainsaw guys. I mean, you got the Maniac Cop. Uh, yeah, Maniac I can't think Cop. of her name right now. <laughs> Lorraine yeah. Landon. She's, like, yeah. she's lovely. Um, and so we just made a list of like, and and people he had a good relationship with. He's like, well, I can ask like somebody like Lorraine because we, we had a, you know, a continuing relationship. So, um, you know, we just reached out and asked a bunch of people and the people that said yes were so perfect and they were so on board and like so trusting because obviously they hadn't actually seen the movie that they're saying was so influential to them and to like other people. <laughs> um, so they really, it took a lot of trust in Neil and then, you know, and the vibe on set when we had them and, you know, we, we really um, tried to give as much context as we could and tried to tell people like, we're huge fans. Like we're not making fun of anything. We love horror. We're nerds and we're fans and we just want to celebrate it in this ridiculous way. And so I think for the people that we got that really resonated and they were totally on board and it was um, pretty amazing what we got out of them. How, I was going to ask you, how did you get the, um, like get them to like say it in that way where it is very like it almost, it does feel like everybody has seen this movie. Yeah. And it's, it was- <laughs> It's crazy. I, I don't know. They're all such good actors. It was it was funny, too, because, um, you know, we shot that. Our, initially, our plan was to shoot it really soon after the convention, but obviously the world shut down. So it was like we had, by the time we got around to shooting it, we had like a full edit of everything from the convention. And so we knew like things we needed them to say to like plug in information, like expository stuff. And um, so we, we sat down for each person. We wrote like 15 to 20 lines that, uh, you know, reference their career and reference things that we needed them to know about End Zone 2. Um, and then, you know, we just gave it to them and they did it. And some people really, uh, like Adam Marcus and Todd Farmer, really, uh, you know, ad-libbed some extra stuff and like really brought their own personalities to it, which was so great. Um, but no, everybody was just really good. And it was really... Um, because I didn't know how that was. I didn't know they were going to be so realistic. And so some of the stuff that we had shot before we did those interviews, you know, in retrospect, if I could shoot them again, I would have shot them a little bit more uh, seriously, like the manager and stuff. And it, it also works, but just like, I didn't know the tone of the interviews was going to be so believable <laughs> when I shot some of that stuff. So it was, it, it was a surprise, but like, it's so great because the first half hour of them talking about the movie is so realistic. Oh yeah. Um, which I, I do kind of feel like the seriousness of the interviews works so well with, uh, you know, you have like Mikey smash and you have, um, I forget his name, but the, uh, 
William Mouth. The, William Mouth, you have the, the touchdown guy, like just just like playing off of each other, just you know, like they're um uh, they're they're more I, I wanna say like just their hatred of each other that that uh like it just plays so well. Yeah. Um and I thought it was kinda cool that you have um I don't know if this is saying too much, I can cut it later if it if it is, but um like you have the the guy that was in the in the end zone two movie at playing his own son. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was like, that it works. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was fun too, because we were like, okay, you need to have an afro. Because <laughs> it's the 70s. Um, no, he's a friend of ours who actually does camera work. And uh, we met him on a set where, um, AJ, we met him on a set where he was my second AC and I was the first AC. And uh, we just like got on famously and he had one leg. <laughs> so he had an accident in high school and lost his leg. And so we're like, you know, after like a week, I was like, look, it, if I can blow up your leg in a film, will, it, will that be okay? <laughs> because <laughs> you know i'm like i'm like a william castle i'm just like always like what can i do that like i can do cheaply and uh have a good effect and so he's like he was totally down you know he's gotten over a lot of the trauma i think um but uh so once that happened i was like okay well we're writing this in and now you have to be in both movies and um and do a good job and he just he did really great he just has like a very good natural charisma and he does like some comedy stuff, but he hasn't done a ton of acting. So we were really lucky that he was he was so good in both. Yeah, he's kind of the like the I, I want to say he's like the heart of that interaction between the three of them. Yeah. That otherwise it's just two old men just bickering at each other, which could get really old really quick. But because he, you know, like tempers it. <laughs> yeah, he kind of tempers it. It's fun. Yeah, and he's also like the the one that can talk directly to the audience because it was really a choice that we don't ever actually just sit down to camera and interview the two guys, you know, William Mouth and Mikey Smash. It was like, it was more like, you know, we have the outside perspective looking at them, but then we still needed somebody to talk to the audience a little bit. And so that ended up being AJ's character. So he's like a little, <laughs> a little bit of the, you know, letting you into the, to the world a little bit more. That was nice. And then um, the other thing I really liked about the Once in Future Smash was the, like, you think this is going to be a movie about, oh, we're making the reboot sequel thing uh, is in there. But then, like, uh, you know, it goes a whole different direction without saying where we're headed. But, yeah. like, I I like that it goes in a different direction and you get a different ending than you would have expected to get. Yeah. Uh, it's... My partner likes to call it uh, boiling the frog. <laughs> like apparently if you put a frog in a pot of water and just boil it, it like likes it at first because it's like warm water and then doesn't jump out before it's actually dead. So <laughs> it's like boiling the frog uh, in how ridiculous it gets in the third act. And that is the third act was uh, originally written much differently, but because of COVID and then like trying to finish it up during COVID, um, it, it, it changed a little bit, like not a, ton but a little bit uh so like i wasn't initially supposed to be in the ending at all but at some point we were gonna do like a, a black box play about the events <laughs> <laughs> like the marionettes so, yeah no like with people with actors like oh, okay. acting out <laughs> what happened <laughs> to them um but anyway, so like obviously we didn't do that because we needed like 30 people to like come in and act in it. And it was just like the wrong thing because of the world events. Uh, so anyway, it did change a little bit, but it definitely still goes 
fully off the rails uh, in the third act. And some people love that and some people hate that. <laughs> but that's just like our sense of humor, I think. Well, I mean, I thought it worked and I thought like, you know, you you do kind of without going too far into that, you kind of present it well where you're like, I didn't want to be in this. But, yeah, I didn't. <laughs> but because we don't have the footage, I, I I have to tell you what happened. Yeah, yeah. Because I've seen that in other documentaries. Well, it's very funny because it is actually literally a thing that annoys me in real documentaries. It's like all of a sudden it's about the director and their journey with this story. And it's just like, I don't care. Like if I'm interested in the subject matter, I don't care about the director and what they did, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's definitely, it's like, it's like a cliche of documentaries, I think. So. Oh, definitely. Um, I also, we, what was it? We watched, um, I think we did a couple weeks ago, we did uh, Craving and we even talked to Jay Horton. Oh, cool. Yeah. And and I noticed your name at the end of the credits and I was yep. like, oh, that's Sophia. Yeah, it has to be the same person. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I had to look it up. I was like, yeah, that's her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I shot Craving last year for Jay, uh, Jay Horton. Um, really crazy shoot, as you may imagine from, from watching it with all the special effects and all the blood. Uh, it was a very tiny crew, um, but it was a ton of fun. Yeah. But I mean, you guys definitely did like pull off something amazing there where like I, I kind of I told him it's like normally the stuff we watch, it's like slashers and, mm -hmm. you know, gory stuff and this and that. And like there's gore, but it's like concentrated spaces of gore and then storytelling and it like it makes everything matter more when you get to the the, the gory parts right yeah well he was really you know trying to do a lot of character development and it's really difficult to do with such a large ensemble so it was like you know a lot of flashbacks telling you about these people so you care about them when inevitably most of them die you know? um but yeah it was a really fun project to work on for sure it definitely you know, I think he even started coming up with the idea in like the 90s and, and the movie is set in the 90s and it has such like a 90s feel to it that I think is really cool. And I definitely took that into account in my cinematography. Like I love period pieces. <laughs> I've shot a lot of movies that are supposed to look 1970 and 1980. Um, so I think maybe that was my first 90s, 90s movie. But um, it was really fun to think about in that way. Like, you know, there's no white light bulbs you know i was always changing all the colors of the lights and stuff uh but yeah you know it's it's it has that vibe and it has that vibe in the in the gore as well you know just very practical uh real oh, yeah. blood flying at the camera the whole time i would wear like full garbage bags over me and the camera oh my God. <laughs> plexiglass in front of the lens like it was crazy <laughs> but yeah like i mean it was it was very beautifully shot because you were the uh director of photography i believe yeah. right yeah yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It was, it was very well shot. Like I, I thought like you capture everything really well. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. He, well, he wanted it, you know, like all handheld, very like um, you're in it with them in the bar. Uh, so basically, you know, basically there are people in a bar and a monster, a monster comes. Um, and he was like, well, I want the lights to go out at some point. And I was like, okay, well, what color are we doing? <laughs> What's the emergency light? Because we need some light, obviously, you know, or we could have done like candles or flashlights, I guess. But like he wanted like the emergency light to come on. And so once it was like bathed in that like red and blue light, um, you know, that, that always feels very cinematic, <laughs> I think. But it does also make it a little hard with the gore because like, you know, the red light and the red blood, it's like trying to then light the gore so you see what's happening uh, can be difficult. So we're like, pumping in some like white light when we can just so you can see what's happening um but yeah it was fun 
Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, before we before we wrap up, um, just uh, a, a few of our, our our basic questions. Like uh, we have our list of movies that we um, we kind of draw off of for future ideas, and actually a lot of the ones that people have given us have led me to more uh, more conversations and more movies that we usually cover pretty much right away but um do you have sorry that was a long uh long uh intro to that but do you have any uh recommendations for us as far as like independent horror uh yeah um so trista robinson who's in end zone 2 the lead in end zone 2 she was in a movie called echoes of fear uh by brian uh avanette bradley and his wife lo is the cinematographer so i love them because they are like another husband wife like cinematographer director couple um but yeah echoes of fear is really great and they're working on right now they shot another movie with trista as well so i have it like that one's still in post um i might they might still be shooting i think they're done i don't know but anyway (laughs) they're really great so i would definitely reach out to them and i'm sure there are more that I'm blanking on right now. <laughs> oh no, it's it's fine. Uh, Matthew Fessel, who, um, oh yeah, I got two more, but like they're coming. So Matthew Fessel, who did Sound on Craving, has a new movie coming out called Isleen Pines, and I know he's dropping the trailer really soon. Uh, what's the name again? Isleen Pines. Isleen Pines. Okay. I S L E E N. And then I've been working on just as crew for a friend of mine. So Matt Stewart's, he actually was one of my camera operators in the Once in Future Smash. And I work with him all the time on other shorts and stuff. He is right now crowdfunding and we shot half of it, uh, a movie called Wake Not the Dead. And it's a really cool concept of this person who like is kind of a snuff filmmaker. And so she goes around filming on her little eight millimeter camera and killing people, but she finds a vampire. And so that leads her down this crazy path with her, her snuff filmmaking. Um, So it's got immense prosthetics and it looks beautiful. It's all like on anamorphic lenses. It's gorgeous. And so he's crowdfunding for that. Now we shot half of it and we need to get back to it whenever we get more money. So, um, so that one will be really, really awesome when that comes out. Awesome. And, oh, I don't even know if I said the name. It's called Wake Not the Dead. Wake Not the Dead. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We'll definitely check that one out. Yeah. Or check all those out because <laughs> those sound really interesting. Yeah. Um, and which you kind of jumped into it already. Um, is there anything else that you're working on that uh, um, that you can that you can tell us about? Of course. Yes. Uh well, we're working right now on the release for the Once in Future Smash and End Zone 2. So we're hopefully going to get together like a nice Blu-ray double feature, uh, hopefully by the fall. And so we'll okay. probably have like a pre-order for that. And then eventually we'll figure out our streaming situation. We've been in talks with a lot of distributors and they have not really offered me anything that I feel I can't do myself. So uh, so I probably will self-release it, um, you know, because we've been burned a few times this is like our sixth movie or something, you know? So we've been around the block a few times with distro, but uh, anyway, so we're working on that for sure. And we are working on our next film, uh, which I won't say the name of yet, but hope I'm hoping to shoot our next film, which is going to be like a murder mystery uh, December or January or so. And so hopefully that'll be around going to fest at some point, like this time next year or something. And then I am shooting a lot of movies this summer. Um, 
I go to Vegas next week to shoot a movie for my friend Heidi Moore. And it's called Good Vibes Only. Her previous film is called Kill Dolly Kill. And there's a sequel to that. They're trauma. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, I think so I've she's seen another that. person to talk to. Yeah, she's awesome. So, yeah, so I'm going to go shoot her next movie, which is kind of like a dark comedy horror. Uh, so that should be really fun. So, yeah, just uh, working on a lot of stuff for other people. Um, I shot uh, a zombie short called Dawn of the Dad, which will hopefully be at Fest this fall. And I shot a short for Rakefa Abergel called Still just last weekend that really intense movie about her personal experience with miscarriage. Um, but it's like a horror, very creepy. Uh, I'm, I know she's going to send that everywhere. So that'll be on the circuit next year as well. So yeah, just a lot of stuff coming down the pipeline. Because <laughs> um, yeah, because I do work as a director of photography as well as a director of my own stuff. So it's like, you know, finding that balance between the two, but definitely shoot more for other people than I managed to make on my own. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and uh, <clears throat> um, is there any or how can people get a hold of you? Uh, yeah, so I'm on all the social media at Sophia Cassiola. And then my production company is called Launch Over, L-A-U-N-C-H-O-V-E-R. So you can go launchover.com and see all the films that are the ones that we've directed. And then my website, sophiacassiola.com, you can see uh, my cinematography and director stuff there. And yeah, so I'm always around. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This podcast is available on all major podcast networks and YouTube. If you like what you're hearing, please follow, like, and subscribe on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. 